Alright guys, this is Staying Alive, the podcast, and I'm Louis J, and uh, it's a great day. I mean, great day despite all of the challenges we're going through right now. And I don't like to be the gloom and doom guy, but geez, we just got shut down for the second time. And um, I don't want the podcast to be about the shutdowns. I want to be about what's moving forward and how we're moving forward. And to that point, um, I got a I got a friend and a special guest on here. I'm really honored and truly privileged because... You know, of all the things that he could be doing today, he's spending a little time with us, and uh, and and willingly, I hope, uh, <laughs> wasn't a drag or a kick. And here's the thing: I won't even have to, I won't even have to introduce him if I just let him speak for a minute. Then I know that the audience is going to know exactly who's on the podcast with me today. If they see his fantastic mustache, they'll know who he is right away. <laughs> but uh, I can't, I can't let that happen. So I'm so happy to have you here. I have Massimo Capra here with me today. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Yes. I will. There you go, Frank. Thanks, bud. Oh, you can hear the clapping already. Oh, go. my God. Yeah, boo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Massimo, I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled to have you on, bud. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And I, I like the idea because in, in developing this podcast, I mean, the whole premise is that, hey, listen, I don't know what I'm doing, but I do know I enjoy having conversations with ordinary people that are doing extraordinary things. And you typify that for me. This is, <laughs> this is your, the thing is, is that you're a real guy that's humble and kind and, you know, um, and, and smart and intelligent. And the way that you navigate, I think, is an inspiration to a lot of people. And, and man, have you ever made it to the track and back? Maybe, uh, I mean, <laughs> the accolades are endless in the sense that celebrity chef, um, brand ambassador on many TV shows. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, we, we see you on the screen all the time in Canada and then beyond. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a world that a lot of people starting out in business would dream of. And, um, I think it's going to be a really cool conversation just about, you know, how you ended up getting there and <laughs> where you're going to go from there. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me here. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very interesting uh, road, actually, that I've traveled because I I never went after anything, really. All I want to do is I want to be in the kitchen. I wanted to cook. I just wanted to be left alone. And every time I said that, something came to me. And I have this impulse that I can never say no to anything. That's and great. this is really bad on my part because I get caught up in some schemes sometimes that are totally stupid. Makes mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, not mistakes, but you know what? I mean, I have to backpedal a lot because, you know what, I say yes, I get excited about something, and then after I go home and I think about it or my, my uh, you know, outside brain thinks about it, like my wife, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and then uh, you realize, ah, why did I say yes? You know what I mean? This is ridiculous. And so you have to approach it in a different way. But, you know, I, uh, you know, the, the fact being humble, I mean, I'm myself, I don't, uh, I don't play it for anybody. I don't do anything for, you know, any particular reason. It's just who I am. <clears throat> well, I think and, that, I think that translates. I mean, there's an yeah. authenticity to you in the way you deliver and the way you yeah. appear. And, and we've heard a lot. Like, I mean, we see, we have a chance to see you in various roles and capacities. I mean, you could even take a cruise yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have you on there, celebrity chef. And, I've and done the that. Yes. And I think oh, that's many. Really, yeah. I, I think love that's really that. cool. <laughs> but there's an authenticity to it. There's a realness. And I think that you, 
you deliver that um, and people recognize that. They don't think that you had to be angry and mean at somebody to be able to be known. No. And that's not you. No, that's that's not me actually. Whatever comes out of my mouth is always on on the on, on the spirit of the moment, right? I mean, I don't, it doesn't carry on ever. You know, I'm never I never carry a grudge, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've learned over the years to like and dislike people for what they do, uh, and there is a lot of people that I don't talk to, I don't engage with because you know what, I don't care about them. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's bad for me because I should be more political and more, uh, you know, diplomatic sometimes they say, you know what I mean? I probably could be farther ahead if I actually had a little bit of a sense of uh, how to play people. But I, I don't know how to play people. I mean, I don't have a clue how to play people. I just see what I get and I give what I can and that's about all there is to it. You know, I mean, the same thing with cooks and all that. Uh, when I hire my staff in the kitchen, I mean, right now, I haven't been doing that. My chef at the restaurant, uh, Capra's Kitchen, is dealing with all of that. But uh, um, I always surrounded myself with people that were really, I always tried to surround myself with people that were better than me. (laughs) And I had no problem with that. Oh, yeah, you want to show up? By all means, go ahead. I don't need to show off to anybody. I don't want to show off to anybody. I don't care. I don't do, um, you know, competition shows and all that because I don't like doing that. Right. Partly because I don't like to lose either. But no, but I, I mean, it, it's, it's, I find them so cheesy and so overdone and so ridiculous. You know what I mean? Is uh, th- there is always a motive behind it in the other hand? In the other end, so I really don't like doing that. No, you know I, I, mean? I, I think we can see that. I think there's appreciation yeah. for the fact that you're taking it as it comes and. Uh, Although it, it, in a lot of respects, people are calculating their next moves and trying to find where they're moving forward with. Yeah, and in a small part, I'm doing that too. But you know what? That never involves uh, other people. That's always stuff that I do on my own, and I try to work around what other people uh, you know, think and, uh, and do. You know what I mean? I try to take advantage of things um, as much as I can. Otherwise, I wouldn't be anywhere. But everything that I've done is because it came to me. I never went searching for it. Wow. You know, I mean, I never, never went searching for it. That's, that's the, the, the key difference between me and most of other people, and especially young guys, especially young guys in my business. You know, their goal is not to learn how to cook, but is to be on TV. Right, right. Because when they are on TV, automatically people start loving them, whether they can cook or not. And, and it, it's amazing what I see um, people that can't cook and people praise them like they are superstars. You know what I mean? I don't have to be part of that. But they haven't got the chops. <clears throat> I know. never, never have looked for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think if we rewind yeah. to podca- podcast episode one, yeah. you'll hear this story. There's a lot of similarities in the way <laughs> that, that so? <laughs> I've approached life in the business and I have a, a true respect and I honor that because... Um, calculated moves often yeah. take away the authenticity and the realness of where you are. And I think, quite honestly, people are, yeah. are attracted to, to, um, to, to being real and to being humble and to, to recognize that there's a lot of great around us and it doesn't just yeah. have to be me. It doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be him. And so, you know, I think that your work speaks for itself. I mean... Well, as a point of pride, I mean, I came to Canada in 1982. I've been here for 38 years. I was here by the grace of my mother's uh, first cousin that disappeared from Italy back in the late 50s. And, uh, 
uh, started a career in uh, in uh, hospitality. Uh, worked through um, his name was Antonio Balestrieri, and he owned a restaurant called Archers and Bumpkins in okay. downtown Toronto uh, back in the seventies and eighties. Uh, so I, I'm here because uh, I was at a funeral. One of my aunt died, and uh, I'm a very young guy of very old family. Okay, so I, I, I was a mistake. Uh, after okay. me, they ended up buying a TV. <laughs> so anyway, my, my, my aunt, 1979, she passed away. She had a ovarian cancer, I believe, or cervical cancer, something like that. And back in those days, I mean, you were just as good as cooked. Right. So she passed away. So I am, uh, I am uh, working in, uh, in a resort. And uh, they sent me the message that my aunt died, so they gave me a couple of days off. I fly down, uh, I fly down. I take the train over <laughs> home to for the funeral, and we are at the funeral. And uh, everyone is uh, not interested in the body or uh, the the person that passed away, but they're all interested in this guy. That oh my God, he's here too. So is my cousin? Uh, is my cousin from uh, from Canada? Came Everybody's back, my cousin from Canada. Okay. He came, but no. Well, he happened to be in Italy. Ah. Uh, for a vacation so they introduced me to him and he says well what are you gonna do so after you know what, what are you gonna do with, with your life right i mean uh, you just finished uh, cooking school you're working in hotels you're doing all of the right uh, all of the right stuff but i mean what are you gonna do you're gonna stay in italy and italy you remember i mean you remember italy was a mess i mean much more so than now i see there were bomb flyings and, oh yeah uh, yeah of course other things happening in those days um so spoke to him, and uh, he said, well, I can make you come to Canada. He said, you know, I live in Toronto. I said, what the hell is Toronto? <laughs> At that time. He said, in Canada, what, what the hell is Toronto? You know what I mean? I said, uh, uh, well, you don't know Canada? I said, yeah, I know Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver, you know, Calgary, because the cows, I mean, uh, the, the animals, because all of our farmers go to, to Canada to pick up uh, the, the semen for, uh, you know, the, the, the animals. So, I mean, it's a true thing. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Plus, we had a farmer in my town that moved to Montreal and started a veal farm and all that. So, I mean, I knew all of those places and the TV shows, the Beachcombers and uh, a couple course. of other things. Yeah, Relic and Bruno. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bruno Gerussi. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, he said to me, well, look, I mean, you just, um, uh, I was about to go in the army for my army service for one year. He says, okay, when you come, when go in the army, when you come out, you're going to have the papers to come to Canada. I'm going to do all of the work for you. We're going to come over. You're going to work in my restaurant. Came over, worked in this restaurant for seven years. I mean, it was just in the phase of retirement. And uh, so I, I saw the place wasn't going anywhere. And I was kind of, uh, you know, 22 year old. <laughs> you know, I got to do something. You, you know, know what I mean? You're ready for the next move. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was excited because that. Brought me to Canada. I mean, learning English uh, was my main goal. Um, seeing a new place in the world. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, back in the 70s, travel was, real, was just for rich people and really wealthy people and workers in, in the industry of, uh, you know, restaurants and uh, this business, my business, hospitality. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so I said, geez, this is a beautiful occasion here for me. I mean, and uh, at school they told me you will never learn to speak English. 
So I said, well, that's a challenge. <laughs> it's going to be a hard time. <laughs> so I came over and I spoke my little French and, uh, you know, started working. But I worked for him for six years. And then finally I met a gentleman, one of the waiters that was working in our restaurant at Archer's, uh, went to work for lunch at a place called Prego della Piazza. Okay. Prego della Piazza was a, a, a small restaurant back then, but it was in the right location. It was in Yorkville. Um, Michael Carlavelle was the craziest, uh, smartest individual that you'll ever meet. Sharp as a tack and uh, totally extravagant. What do you call it? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was just uh, it was just nuts, basically. I At mean, that time, I think Yorkville, you know, it was enjoying yeah. a very <clears throat> specific definition of what kind of place it was. That's right. So it was uh, uh, all about the arts. It was a big supporter of uh, the Canada Canadian Ballet Company, uh, the the Ballet Company, the uh, all every artist in Toronto would come over and talk to him. Great friend of uh, of uh, um, oh, I forgot his name now, but. Uh, it was a great friend of all of the, 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 the superstars of that time in, uh, in in Toronto. I mean, everybody was always in our place. Of course. And uh, I went in and I, <laughs> it was a great story because this is an empty restaurant. I'm going in for an interview and I'm watching the owner, which is the cook and the waiter at that time, <laughs> with one bartender. And uh, there is a table of uh, 10 or 15 people. And they sit down and they take and they give him the order, the drink order, and he makes them the drinks and he brings it over and then he starts taking the the order for the the food, and the one starts, I want a Caesar salad, but I want uh, no garlic in it and no anchovies, and then the other one, I want a Caesar salad with no parmigiano, I want a Caesar salad with extra cheese, I want a Caesar salad with a piece of chicken on it, I want a Caesar salad with shrimp on it, and he went around the whole table and then he picked up all the menus, and he says. Please, the drinks are on me, but please leave, go get your lunch somewhere else. <laughs> and that to me was like, okay, this is a thinker. I like that attitude because, you know, if you want to get the best out of a restaurant, you don't go in with a lot of uh, requests. Right. Just do what they have on the menu, and that's always the best bet. And I know that things have changed a lot now with all the multitudes of the stupid diets and everything else because they are, they are really... Ignorant diets. I mean, uh, most of them. I mean, they drive me insane, and uh, everyone is sick with something and everything else. But you know what? Nobody's dead, really. I mean, I would like to see some cleaning of the house here. <laughs> <laughs> some of these people they're driving everybody crazy. Right. They're making our lives difficult, and they're making their own lives difficult by making our life impossible to serve a proper food, a proper meal. Right. You In know? That I case, mean, it drives me is is a complete nonsense to me. You know what I mean? Most of the stuff. I can't even imagine how a chef would 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 deal with the fact that they've taken so much time to perfect yeah. the flavor, the taste, <clears throat> the nodes, just the right balance, and this is how I want you to enjoy it. <laughs> and then they come yeah. back with, uh, I like everything but the salad. I know. <laughs> I'll uh, take the sauce know. on the side. Yeah, well, when I make tortellini uh, at home uh, with my wife with a proper filling and everything else, and it's just like if you were eating them in Cremona or in Bologna or whatever, and then people say, I like that tortellini from Olivieri. You are a freaking idiot! You know, I mean, I'm gonna smack you one. They get upset you when know. I put uh, oh, when I put cheese on my, my pescatore. They get really upset. I, I totally appreciate that. I know well, I'm, I'm killing it. I know. No, you're not killing it. You know what? I mean, there, there is a lot of uh, uh, different schools of thought. 
because Italians, uh, we are 57 million Italians. <clears throat> there are 80 million opinions. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, and I've been, I, I'm in touch with my Italian friends in Italy. I have colleagues that we still speak to. And uh, we get together when I go to Italy. And uh, the, the Italian food that you see here is not Italian food. It's always Canadian food. Okay? The food that I make is Italian, but it's Canadianized. Canadianized. Because if I make Italian food, nobody will like it. They okay. all come back from Italy. They say, oh, I had this and I had that. And then most of the time they speak of, a, you know, um, they speak of a pappardelle with uh, with tomato sauce or uh, some kind of ragu or whatever, or they speak of a uh, veal parmigiana, which they only make in restaurants in Italy that are for tourists. Okay. So tourists, when they go to Italy, they tend to eat tourist food, no matter what. I've taken groups to Italy, and it, it is very difficult because what they're looking for, they're looking for the Starbucks, they're looking for... Uh, the things that they know. They want Caesar salad. If you go to Rome now, a lot of restaurants have Caesar salad. And that doesn't exist in Italy. Unheard of. Yeah, who we'll put mayonnaise on a salad? <laughs> I get Are it. you nuts? I get it. Are these you know challenges? What I, mean? I don't want to put Caesar salad on my menu, and yet it's one of my best sellers. I imagine. You know, I mean, it drives me insane. I cry inside every time somebody orders a Caesar salad. And if they ask for a grilled chicken on top, I mean, that really even kills me even more. My testicles go right up, back up again. <laughs> you know, it's incredible. I could see it. Yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's obscene, you know. I mean, uh, the fact that uh, penne la vodka is considered an Italian thing, you know what I mean? It just drives me nuts. I wish that, you know, there's a chance to really, truly enjoy the authenticity of Italian food in Canada. <laughs> and I think that a lot of places do get, <clears throat> clo do get close, or at least there, there's a claim, like you yeah, said, yeah. Italian food, but Canadianized ever so slightly. Yeah, that is. And uh, we all do that. Yes. We all do that. We have to. You have if to. we want to stay in business, we have to. So we make a great Caesar salad. It's one of the best Caesar salad you can have. Uh, and you know what? Nowadays, praising yourself, it feels a little trampian, eh? It's just horrible. It is. I'm not going to do that anymore. I got <laughs> we it. We have our Caesar salad. Everybody loves it, but, you know, I mean, we sell a lot of it. <laughs> Let's keep selling some Caesar salad. I can't salad. even say that. Everybody loves it because that's what he uses all the time. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's not turn politically. <laughs> no, no, no political today. <laughs> no, but listen, uh, so when I went to work at uh, Prego della Piazza, I mean, and I saw him do that, I said, you know what, there is, uh, there is some thinking here being done, right? And then he starts talking to me and he says, oh, I want to buy all Italian wines, all top-of-the-line wines. We're going to have crystal on, uh, on, the, on the table. We're gonna... I have this friend that is friends with George Riddell, and uh, he's going to come up from New York and he's going to talk to me about his new line of glasses. You know, those are the, the glasses, you know, the ones that are made for each wine. Right. Okay, so we used to buy Riddell glasses by the skidfall. You're kidding me. Okay, yeah, and because they, they were so fragile before they developed ah. the, the, the stronger glass and the, the stronger technique, right? We used to buy them by the skidfall, okay? Uh, Rosenthal uh, dinnerware and, uh, you know, the best of the best of everything. Best linen, frate from Italy and so on and so forth. Back in the days when we had tablecloth on the table. Um, and then he, he's taking me around the, the dining room and he says, well, you see, there are too many tables in this dining room. I want to take away a table. I want to put a sculpture. And I have lots of art in my house. And I want to take all of my art and bring it over and really showcase to people. I want them to feel good in a beautiful space with real art and all that. And, and my wife was like, oh, I don't know. This guy sounds nuts. 
And I, I was totally enthralled with it because you know what? This is a, there's nothing more beautiful than surrounding yourself with beautiful things. Amazing. That's as simple as that. So I was there for 10 years. I worked from 10 in the morning until sometime 2, 3 in the morning. I, I went see. home just to sleep, get up, and go back to work. That drive that happens when you're yeah. young and you're full of life. I mean, I haven't lost it. I still I find myself doing things far too long and for, for <clears throat> many reasons other than why I should. I really am passionate behind that. Yeah. I can tell that you're passionate. But when you hear stories of guys like that, um, that put the experience first, yeah. then you recognize that there's staying power there because they'll put everything else behind the fact that they want to make sure somebody that comes into their environment yeah. loves it for not only that, but this, but this, but this, but this. And then that becomes a conversation. Yeah. I think you've, you've done a really, I mean, you've done a magnificent job in all the brands that you've attached yourself to and you developed, um, you know, certainly beyond that. How does a, how does a, a line chef or a cook in a restaurant like that make the next move how did that come about i you know I, this is is funny because uh, i um i had a very rough beginning um a very possessive mother never let me play with everybody and uh, i had very strict rules at home i mean uh, the whip was out every day i had to wait for my father to go home because if i went home with my dad then she wouldn't beat me as hard you know what i mean and things like that and i was probably rambunctious myself i mean that's what everybody tells me unfortunately <laughs> i mean they, they corroborate all the stories but um you know i grew up in the country you know what i mean total freedom i mean i i, I would get up in the morning and just go and collect some snails or uh, catch some frogs and uh, my mother would make them and eat them you know what i mean it was great you know total country bumpkin you know what i mean it was beautiful yeah but that's what everybody was doing my mother would go out with a little basket and come back with all kind of uh, lettuces and things uh, that were wild, and then we would eat that, you know. I mean, go and collect nettles, you know, to fill ravioli with or to make, uh, you know, uh, saute them in butter and garlic and have them as a garnish or as a vegetable. You know, I mean, all kind of uh, beautiful stuff, right? So I had a different upbringing. I mean, uh, my mother raised chickens. My father was always working in the farm, and he was milking cows by hand for 50 years. You know, his hands were atrophized like this. Mm -hmm. And then uh, at 75, when he finally uh, decided to stop working, okay, they, he went to the hospital and they fixed all of his hands. And then finally, at eight years old, he was like, look at my hands, look at my hands, I can move them again. And I was like, well, yeah, you spent all your life going like this, you know, milking the cows. I mean, what, <laughs> you what know? a life. But he stopped working at 75, but he kept a part-time job until I was, he was 85, Incredible. Okay, and he rode his own uh, motorcycle, and uh, he he had an accident when he was ninety because he was petting a dog while he was riding his moped, and uh, the dog went right in between his wheels, so he fell and he hit his head. E. And three years later, the concussion caused an ictus, and uh, so that, that's uh, that. Then you know, I mean, everything else after when he was ninety three, everything else just you know good. You had an accident, you have a, uh, you know what it is, right? Of course, yeah, of course. So, but the last hour, he was in the hospital right across from our house in the old age home, and he gets up and he looks at his garden and he's like, ah, nobody's doing anything in there, huh? I'm going to go and do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's what he said. And then... The nurse came in, no, no, you can't stand up. Yeah, my back hurts a little bit, but I'm going to go and fix my tomatoes. Amazing. It was June 11th, okay? And uh, he sat down on the bed, and he says, ah, I understand. And he just sat down and said, okay, 
say goodbye to my son. And then he laid down, an hour later he was gone. That was, a, that was really special because my mother and my brother were there, and they saw it, and, they, and they're like, I, I don't get this guy. I mean, he gets up, he wants to go in the garden, then he gets a little problem in his back, the nurse tells him to go back to bed, and he's like, ah, yeah, I understand. Goodbye. Wow. You know, I mean, in a summarizing it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's quite, quite weird yeah. and, and special. It's uh, it's yeah. been said that that you know, um, minutes before, a little time before, and then, actually, I listened to somebody, a doctor who worked in the ER, and over the time that he spent in trying to resuscitate people mm-hmm. and bring them back, and you know, um, if and ever they were successful, and we don't hear about all the times they're not, and that's yeah. what his point was, you know, out of five, four are not successful, and uh, the ones that are, he said, there's a common story every single time, and I was blown away to hear this, where he said. They would wake up, they would come back, and the first thing they would say in their own words, in their own version mm-hmm. of this, was, why did you bring me back? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, so, I, yeah. you think about that. It was the whole, the whole premise of the conversation was about accepting what you are here right now and being completely, completely comfortable with it because there's a moment when, in his uh, reflection of what happens at that moment, yeah, it's that you've gone to a complete sense of peace. Yeah, yeah, imagine, yeah, you know, yeah. imagine we try all of our lives to get to this happy place. <laughs> I know. And the minute you get there, somebody brings you back. <laughs> I don't know. I, I might want to just stay. I don't well, know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but in well, any case. you know what? Anyway, that that's uh, that's my uh, my upbringing, right? I mean, three thousand. No, sorry, three thousand people is the whole uh, extended community. I mean, five villages. But uh, my town is only like sixteen hundred people back in the seventies. So a lot of everyone had gone you know what i mean and most of the people that were working in factories and all that i mean we have a giant uh we have the 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 largest uh surgical steel or a specialized steel maker in the world is in my town is in cremona um and uh so a lot of the people went to work in those factories and uh, in those uh, smelters and uh you know doing factory work and uh, a lot of the people that are 10 years older than me the only way I see them now is when I go to the cemetery. Is that right? They're all gone. They're gone. All gone. Their parents are probably still alive. They're 199 and 90. All the people that worked in the farm, you know what I mean? They were all... Uh, when I was a kid, man, I used to put two liters of um, a bottle, a two-liter bottle, one liter of wine, one liter of water, and then five scoops of sugar, shake it, put it on my bicycle, and take it to the country, uh, to the fields when my father and all his buddies were working, right? I mean, they would be doing farm work. And that's what their, uh, you know, drink was, to, to that's, rehydrate that's, themselves. That's rehydrate. Mm-hmm. Well, what a life. I mean, the yeah. humble beginnings, farm life. I yeah. mean, does that, do you think that had a way of instilling in you a work ethic? I mean, mother was hard, father was hardworking. And, yeah. you know, collectively, <clears throat> that has to influence and shape the kind of guy that you become. I think that that gave me the 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 <laughs> the only thing that I still carry from those days really is that fear of failure. Uh, I can accept it, but sometimes failure is not up to you. Uh, uh, so if I fail because it's something I did, okay. But if it's external forces, then I, it drives me insane. You know what I mean? So if I fail because I, I can't do something, I'm the first one to say, no, I can't do it. Not Sorry, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It, it, it's fine. It, I can't reach it. That's that's okay. I'm not. Uh, I'm not afraid of that. But it's, if it's because something is uh, 
pre-established and there is a lot of that you know mm. what i mean it's all about who you know and who you talk to mm -hmm. and who your friends are and all that when especially when you do competition and so on uh no you know uh, hard to accept you know, yeah, yeah hard to accept for me yeah i think when you lose you control know. when you're used to being in control and you're yeah. you're helping to define the destiny and how you relate to it then that's a challenge <clears throat> and that really can, can yeah. hurt you i'll I tell you one thing though i mean if you want to be in the position that i am it's just like everybody else that is in a certain position in life in their job in uh in, in their in well in their work life huh? um you can party a little bit, but you can't make that your, your life, okay? So you got to keep your nose clean. <laughs> Euphemism, but, you know, works, yes, especially yes. now. Especially in hospitality. <coughs> that was a world that was entirely different. You, exactly. Mm -hmm. You got to go to bed early, get up early. You really do your stuff. You got to show that you're doing it, okay? Otherwise, no chef like me is going to be impressed. Got it. You know, you got to keep your nose clean. You got to party very lightly. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to pick your times. And uh, you can still have a lot of fun. I mean, I, I can tell you I had an incredible amount of fun. But I am the one that always carried the the, the, the torch, right? I mean, so in in, uh, in hotels, I mean, uh, I was always the one that the chef relied on to get things done. You know what I mean? Uh, when he wanted something special. Everybody had their job. But when he wanted something different, it would come to me. Uh, when I went in the Army, uh, I went there and I was, you know, I mean, I had already worked since I was 14 years old. I worked in hotels and uh, restaurants, and I was uh, accustomed to living with other people, adults, male and female. Um, you know, I would be f 15 years old. We were working in this hotel up in uh, Courmayeur and, um, at the foot of Mont Blanc. And we are eight in a bedroom, a large bedroom, as big as this room, okay? And uh, from uh, 15 years old, me, to 45-year-old uh, single guy, entremetier, uh, right? And uh, in the other side of the corridor, there is the, the, the women uh, bedroom. And uh, at, at nighttime, they would come over and uh, party. I am 15 years old, and my chef is pressuring me to death, okay? He's making me do all the dirty stuff. I have to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning. And this is 4 in the morning. They're still playing cards and... Uh, you know, doing whatever they do, drinking, going crazy. Eight o'clock in the morning, I would be down in the kitchen collecting all of the pots and pans that I would be needing for the for the work day. Because, you know, when you have like 15 cooks and you have only so many pots and pans, the first, the, the, the early bird gets the worm, right? So you got to go and collect everything. So you got to read the menu, figure out the, all the steps of each recipe, pick up all of the pots and pans, hide them away, and then... Uh, <laughs> The chef will stroll down a 15 with his coffee, and then he will check if you had done what he had told you the night before. And if you had not, then you would be really in a mess. I never had issues. I had one chef that was riding me so hard that it drove me nuts, okay? I mean, I was, like, exhausted mentally and physically. At the end of the season, he said to me, I want you to work here next year again. You're good. And everybody else was making fun of me because I was, like, just like this with, with uh, blinkers on, just trying to get my work done, right? Heads down, heads down. So heads down, heads down. The, the, the one thing is I never, you know, I mean, to me, everybody that does something does something good. And uh, I can see it unless it's something that really is unedible. But um, that's why I don't get upset with you putting cheese on your pasta with fish. Thank you. Because Italy is the only place where they don't do it. 
And actually, even that is debatable. Is that right? It's absolutely 100% debatable. Going back to that 80 million uh, opinions, yes. everything is debatable in Italy. Fair. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So keep your head down, work hard, shut up. Mm-hmm. The first thing that young people nowadays have to do is shut up. I agree. They don't shut up. They think they know everything. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, right now, I'm getting a complex because every young person I meet is like, holy crap, they know so much. I know nothing anymore. Amazing. I I don't know. I mean, okay, maybe they're doing something better. I better learn from them. So I'm learning from everyone all the time. That's a great that's a great takeaway. Yeah. I mean, you, you can learn in so many different ways. And I think anybody listening to the podcast that's, you know, has an inkling of entrepreneurship, they just <laughs> want to go do their own thing. Um, recognize that your lessons can come from every walk yeah. and every and every opportunity. And you, you talk about being 15 years old and being in an environment that has the gamut from young to old. Yeah. You see all these different personalities and you begin to form opinions. Yeah. And I said on, on one of the earlier podcasts that if there is anything that I recommend uh, for young people, it's to spend time in multi-generations spend time at the senior home talk to them have them tell them the stories and then recognize how awkward and uncomfortable that is for a 15 year old to be around an 80 year old that's not their grandfather or grandmother there's different personalities there but all of a sudden you start to absorb the fact that there's teachings and you don't know what 15 what's being taught that's right and by the time you're 21 and you know everything and you block out the fact that you could still be learning you know, you finally get to 30 and you realize, hey, I don't really actually think I know everything. <laughs> That's right. And then 40, you know, you know nothing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's exactly the point, right? I mean, listen, when you grow up in a small village like mine, uh, you are mixed in with young and old and all that. And in Italy, you know how it is, right? We have a piazza, we have a church, yes. four bars around it, always full. Always full. And you play cards and uh, you go in. So uh, back in the 70s and 60s especially, there was no restrictions, you know what I mean? I tried my first glass of beer when I was seven years old, and I spat it out because I couldn't stand the flavor. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it was not, uh, Italy was like that, right? I mean, the, it, it, you were in a bar to play. There was the young people in one side, the old people in the other, and then the ladies who lunch, uh, the, you know, drinking their cappuccinos and, uh, and teas are, you know, all decked out, and they're all talking about their things, and you're listening. You're listening to everybody. You know, you're playing. You're picking uh, it up. Yeah, you're picking it up, and you're there, and they know you, you know them, and you, you. Sometimes you make fun of them, sometimes they make fun of you. There is an enormous amount of interaction that, unfortunately, living in the condition that we live here, everybody with their own little house, and they all go only when they want to. They only go where they want to go. They attach themselves to small little groups, and they all become little cliques. It didn't happen that way in Italy, man. You know that piazza. That piazza, and I have a video actually on the internet about that piazza because that piazza where the church was, the priest would be standing there shaking his head because nobody was going to church anymore, and all the bars are full, and then kids are playing frisbee. Some of them are on the on the church step over there reading the penthouse, Xavier uh, Hollander. You know what I mean? That we used to love reading that. Is that right? <laughs> right on the church step. Maybe smoking a joint, you yeah. know what I mean? That's yeah. uh, when you're young. That's what you do, right? I mean, then the you know some uh, old guy would come by and maybe he was a little drunk or whatever, and you just make fun of him, and then he get mad, and then he do something stupid, and then everybody laughs, you know, and that becomes the life of the village. You know what I mean? It, it's quite interesting. But you have a collective. I miss that. Yeah, you have a collective <clears throat> narrative there. You have an experience that has 
everybody yeah. connected to something. You know, oh, yeah. whatever happened in the piazza now has yeah. been translated into the home, yeah. and that becomes a story and a condition for yeah. you to kind of want to go back and and be part of it. And I think you're right. I mean, we've never enjoyed that no. type of cultural. Um, no, you don't. Yeah. Community. No, you know, although no. we have we are community and. You know, I think we're fortunate in the community we live yeah. in that we do have this connection to the businesses and the people, and we get to see them. And there's, we've got an, like a small village kind of old world charm and, here. And that's why eight years ago, when I, what, nine years ago, when I moved down to Lorne Park, uh, and I started frequenting uh, Pork Reddit and uh, Clarks and all that. I mean, it became very apparent that uh, you know, the good part of living in a village exists here. All the right. people around here. They all know each other. They all know who you are. You all know who they are. And it's absolutely beautiful that way. Okay? I agree. I agree. And uh, now we are at a point in time where uh, we are a little bit more <laughs> we are a little bit more restricted in what we say and how we think and all that. So we reserve judgment. Yes. When you grew up in a small town like I did, nobody reserved judgment. If you did something wrong, some old lady would pick it up and then she would tell your mother tomorrow morning when uh, you, she went to buy bread and then she would come home and bada boom, you know what I mean? You are done, yeah. you know, so you have to be very, very careful. I think that that sense of community is missing. I agree. Because you know what? The policing by everyone on everybody else kept everybody in check. Well, and there's a the saying, <laughs> it takes a village is actually very yeah, true. Yeah, it is. The village looks out for everybody. <clears throat> and I think oh we boy. enjoy a small, slight segment of that here and, and, and in little towns like this around the yeah. world. And, you know, and, and if people are listening from um, an, an environment like our little community, mm -hmm. they'll know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's yeah, a so beautiful thing. I, I'm enjoying it tremendously. Me as as well. a matter of fact, I don't go, I never, unless I have to, I never go north of the Queen Elizabeth Way. It's so, there's four, so there's bad. four blocks for you. I know oh what you boy, mean. yeah, you know what I mean. I know exactly. It's what like, you oh, mean. geez, I have to go downtown. You know, I used to drive downtown every day, hundred kilometers, because I used to live up in uh, Erin Mills, so it was forty-five kilometers one way, forty-five the other to get to Yorkville, and uh, uh, sorry, it was uh, thirty-two kilometers, but forty-five exactly, forty-five traffic lights. Amazing. That's an enormous amount of time spent at traffic lights. So. I know every single street in uh, in Toronto, every single bypass and whatever. But the reality is that no turn left, no turn left, no turn left, no turn here, up and down. It, it's a mess, right? And now they they added so many more traffic lights. It drove me nuts. So when I go downtown, I I am like, oh my god, I did that for thirty years, right? Five years. Right. I mean, that's insanity. Yeah, and but so you you you, know? you then at some point you made a decision that you're going to be in your community. You're yeah. going to open a place in your community. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're going to serve the community. Your personality is injected <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. in there, and, and everybody loves it. I've never heard anybody yeah. leave there and say that wasn't what they expected. Listen, the the um, the beginning was very rough, was and it? I, I admit it. I knew it. I always said it, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed by it a little bit because the beginning of Capra's Kitchen was very very rough. In what regard? What do you mean? Well, you know, I mean, it's extremely tough to find really. Cooks that are interested in what they're doing, waiters that are interested in what they're doing. We, we, you see, I come from a professional environment where a waiter is a profession. It's not just something that you do part time and because you want to please somebody and what have you. You know what I mean? Or you want to make money because the tips are great. Okay, that that is absolutely the the, the that that is a, a byproduct of being a good worker. The tipping and all that. Of course. Okay. And it should be treated like that. Instead, it's treated by 
you know, a lot of very pretentious and uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, privileged people. They want to make some quick money. They go to work in a restaurant and they just uh, whatever, you know. And, and some of them, I mean, they're good enough that they are likable. The problem that I find is that when I hear a customer saying, oh, I want that waiter to serve me because he's the best, and then I watch him work and he's, like, lousy, Uh-oh. he's only the best because, you know what, he knows how to speak to the person. Right. Or because they know him or they have a connection. Right. And that is an absolute no-no for me. You know what I mean? And because I'm so frank all the time, I can't, I can't hide it. You're letting him you know, know. I can't hide it. So in the beginning, we had to hire everybody that came along, and, and some of them were really, really bad. Some of the cooks were incredibly bad. Oh, no. <clears throat> It's taken me, it took me about a year to get the kitchen running in the right way and the dining room to run in the right way. Then I had some issues with management and all that. We straightened it all out. Now it's a machine and I'm very proud of it. Everybody that works there actually like what they're doing and they're doing it the right way and it's a continuous training. We bring in winemakers and uh, and uh, wine reps all the time to talk about wines and uh, and we bring in um, uh, and and train our our waiters once a week. We have a little training session on all our drinks, our cocktails, and uh, not that my bar is busy because I'm I'm a lone wolf over there in uh, Clarkson. I mean, right. I have a great bar with beautiful cocktails, but I can't attract anybody to drink there. It's not a drinking um, environment. No, it's, it's not a drinking it's a environment. Yeah, it's, it's a food environment. It's a family place. Right, but. If somebody wants to have it, we have it. We right. have a wine list that is extremely well curated. People from Toronto come in and they go like, "Wow, this is this is absolutely beautiful," and uh, and and that's the mindset. But you know, I could sell a cheap thirty dollar bottle of wine. I can sell a hundred of them, but I don't want to do that. Right? You know what I mean? I already lowered my standards by having Caesar salad and uh, <laughs> right. and the occasional penne. So that's enough. That's enough for you. <laughs> that's enough. I mean, I I you know what? The idea of uh, restaurant actually showing people and helping people understand what good food is is almost gone out the window because everyone that walks in they think they know better and they have seen it done better on youtube or uh, mm-hmm. instagram and all that so it's a, it's a stupid battle to fight it's hard it's very, so char- it's it's very, very challenging because the, the, the amount of knowledge is very minimal mm. and yet they portray it as if they know everything expertise they went to italy once and all of a sudden they know everything about italian food and how it should be served uh, it is really, really offensive. You know what I mean? It is really offensive I for a it. professional, of course. You know, you know, you know it intimately, and I think that's where people yeah. they like to to with confidence like to be an expert, and they like yeah. to, oh, to, yeah. to share their expertise. And and quite honestly, they they may not have the chops to be an expert there, and they and they don't yeah. have the experience and exposure. Um, I loved your part about like uh, about people and the, and who's working <clears> for <throat> you and with you. Because at the end of the day, it's your signature. Yeah, it's you on it's it's your That's mustache right. on the logo. That's right. I mean, it has to reflect your standard. And when you find something that might be um, uh, compromising that standard, yeah. uh, I I share that same sentiment because although we don't serve food mm-hmm. in in my businesses, we serve an experience, not unlike yeah, a restaurant. And, and that is an amazing experience. I mean, uh, this this is great. Well, it, I mean, look at what what we are surrounded with. I mean, this is just a so comfortable, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, that's it, beautiful It's so to hear. beautiful. It's so comfortable. You feel enveloped by by calm here. That's great. You know, I mean, it's absolutely nice. great. Well, then, you know. then maybe we did a good job. <laughs> no, yeah, you did, you did. And and listen, and and, and uh, everyone that is listening, take it with a grain of salt. You know, I mean, we are 
restaurants are in a position that is unique in any of any business. When you go to a doctor, it makes you wait. It makes you wait in a room that is the waiting room, right. and then it puts you in another little room, and it makes you wait again. Mm-hmm. If you go for an appointment at 2 o'clock, you guarantee that you're going to see maybe at 2.30. Mm-hmm. If I were to do that in a restaurant, I get crucified. Unheard of. Okay, it's unheard of. And people walk into a restaurant, they feel like they are demanding. Yes. I want, and I want this, and I want that. They have no respect. They, they, it's absolutely insane. And, and I say it all the time because when I go to supermarket, I see how people treat the food, how they handle the things that they touch and all that. They're throwing it about everywhere. They put it in the basket, and then three hours down, they... <clears throat> They recant it. They take it out, throw it in a in a shelf here and there. I've seen the longos. I've seen like packages of cold cuts. I mean, you have to ask for cold cuts to be cut and prepared for you, and then you feel bad because you bought them and you put them on a shelf somewhere. That's a waste, right? I mean, honestly, to be a retailer, you got to be insane. Everybody buying three pairs of shoes and then they bring two back. Right. Or, or they, right. maybe they bring all three back because they wear it the night out and that's it. That's it. You know, I mean, they put scotch the tape and then the they tags, go. Yeah. Keeps the tag. I mean, that to me is insanity. You know, I mean, this, this is a society that has gone totally wacko. You know, so I only I buy what I use and what I really want and what I really need and that's it. I never like to return anything, which is bad on my part maybe. But, you know, sometimes you buy crap. And you need to get rid of it. Yes. But you know what? For the most part, if you go to Italy, you don't touch any food in any supermarket. You got to put gloves on to touch your pears when you go to a supermarket like Longos or Metro or whatever. Mm-hmm. You got to put gloves on. And there's somebody that if you touch it with your hands, you bought it and you take it away right away. Incredible. What a yeah. different environment. Yeah. You don't touch anything. I mean, if you touch something, they'll kill you. Well, I think that there's you know. this sense of like, <clears throat> um, it's okay to be disposable. and. Oh. And that translates into the experience too. I got to tell you, if somebody comes into our shops in this business um, and we've made them wait for more than five minutes, Mm. it makes me very itchy. I get very, I get squirrely because. Yeah, you don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. I want to be respectful of their time. You made an appointment. We're now in your schedule. So we have to respect that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I do understand that sense of entitlement. uh, Oh, that. that people have, you know, where Incredible. they, yeah, they, they got balls, man. They did. They, they, it's know. very demanding. And, and even if you excuse yourself, you lick the floor uh, on your knees and uh, you excuse yourself, you buy them a drink or whatever, they still want more. Everybody wants more. Well, you and know? your environment's different than here. In I kick sense. people out, man. Like, oh, I'm question. telling them. I mean, out. If you want to pick a fight with me in my house, you're going to get out. Right. I'm right. telling you, you cannot win. And I don't care what my reputation does. I, I don't care about my reputation. I'm, I'm willing to put it on the line. If you're wrong, you are out. Well, that's integrity. Know. Yeah. That speaks to integrity. Yeah, and yeah. That shows people yeah. what's, what's acceptable. And y- you don't do that in, unless it's absolutely necessary. I get that, you know? You're going to yeah. find those moments where it's like, this is not right for Listen, me. Listen, if I make something bad... If my cooks cook something and it's not right, I'm the first one to say it. Yes. I will never cover up. Of course. The worst thing, I had a waiter that kept lying to the people. He had no idea what was on our menu, and he kept giving them stories, you know what I mean? And, and I caught him, and I said, if I hear you do that again, you're fired. And he did, and he was fired. And he's gone. He's gone. I don't want anybody to lie. If I tell you that I have butter in the sauce, there is butter in the sauce. If I tell you that there is, a, you know, a whatever, is made that way. Okay, but if I put something on a plate, it's definitely edible. It's not over-salted, it's not under-seasoned, it's not, uh, you know, it's edible if I put it on the plate. 
you know. And so, yeah, I mean, when you, you have three compromise. people eating the same pasta that came out of the same pot from the same sauce, and one of them tells you, this pasta is awful. Excuse me? <laughs> Why don't you instead say, listen, this is not to my liking. Can I have something else? Right. I'll make you whatever you want. Of course. But if you attack me right away with that business, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, that puts my blood in a bad position. Well, you know. the, the business that you're in is passion driven. Yeah, I mean, you decided to put that menu item out there because yeah. you're proud of it, and you. Yeah. If somebody's now insulting in the way that they approach it, then yeah. I think that that comes back to you know kindness for the win. Not everything's going to be exactly the way you look at it and the way it should be in your mind, but it's not that it's not right for somebody. No, that's else. right. I mean, we don't deliberately screw up something so that uh, we want to, you know, make it bad for you. No. We want you to come in, enjoy your meal, rave about it, go home and tell all your friends, you know, and be happy and be full and be really satisfied. You know, we don't deliberately fuck up something just because. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's absurd to think that way, but sometimes you hear in the complaining, you, you've made... To feel that way, yeah, you made to feel like you're doing it on purpose. Intentional. We don't, we don't mess around with people. We don't mess around with prices. We don't mess around with food. We don't mess around with anything. Okay, w what you get is what you get. What we say is what you get. Right. You know, and that's as simple as that. You know. Well, uh, um, even in these challenging times when yeah. restaurants are getting, you know, they're getting knocked out and knocked down, and that's a real, real headache. We. You now have to worry about what happens when it translates to the plate at home. So they come to pick it up and they're That's doing right. takeout. You know, you still want to create that same experience. That's right. And not everybody's <clears throat> doing a great job of that. I mean, how challenging has that been for you? It, you know what? Takeout food is very challenging. My, my pizza takeout, you know, I feel bad for people. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not that I feel bad. Sorry. I don't feel bad. I'm very extremely pleased that there is like a lot of people coming to eat and pick up food at Capra's, okay? But it's not my preferred way of doing it. I would love to be open and serve pizza fresh, right? So my recommendation is, uh, you know the fixation that we have here to have the pizza cut in slices? Yes. As if everybody at home has got their hands tied behind their back and they don't have a knife? <laughs> so if they want to pick up Capra's Kitchen's pizza and not cut it, then they just throw it in the oven for like three minutes Okay, it would turn out to be a perfect pizza again. Great. Because whenever you put something hot in a cardboard box, it gets soggy. There is no escape from it. If I make a pasta and I travel it, would they do that in Italy? Never. They look at you like you got three heads. <laughs> I mean, in Italy, it's meant man. for right now. Oh, boy. You wait. Boom. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. So my brother is a police officer, was a police officer, passed away, uh, was a police officer stationed in Genova. The city, the right? City. And he lived in uh, Voltri, just outside the city. So there are, you know, Genoa is on a mountain, is on a hill, right side, right? So there is roads all going east and west and some little street that go up and down. Um, every day from his uh, station, they would hear the ambulance siren. Every day, you know, it was like always at 10 to 12, the siren would go off and boom. So they investigated that after I don't know how many months or whatever. So it turns out that the ambulance driver was signaling his wife that he would be home in 10 minutes so that she could throw the pasta in and in 10 minutes it would be ready. So when he got home, he would have the pasta ready. That is how fanatical some Italians are about their food. 
<laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah, I love it. You don't eat pasta overcooked, and you eat it as soon as it's ready. You don't let it sit around waiting. Are you nuts? Not, a, you know, not so intention. You ask me about takeout. Mm. It's like, oh, God. It must. I have to do it. I have to do it, and I'm very happy to do it. And I really, you know, I pray that all of my customers and all the people of uh, this area will come and order from me. But, you know, be patient, you know, and enjoy it is the best that it can be given the conditions and given the times. Of course. And that's about all I can tell you. Well, I think that there is this sense <clears throat> of uh, forgiveness <clears throat> that um, that we're going through right yeah. now. Because we're, listen... The business that you're running, the business that I'm running, and all of the small businesses really that are the backbone of the economy, this is not the business we intended to run. We had made plans mm -hmm. for everything but this. Absolutely. So your conditions are changed. People, I think, are forgiving of the fact that it's not going to be exactly the way we want yeah. it. Um, but at the same time, too, there's an expectation. You know, I still need it to be... I still need it to be good. And I yeah. still... I want to support. And I love the fact that we've got a community rallying behind us. Um, to be able to help support because, you know, quite frankly, if they don't, there's a good chance that a lot of us won't survive. Oh, no, I know. Absolutely. I mean, are you kidding me? It, it's impossible. Plus, you know what, the, the kind of quality that we try to embrace, right? I mean, I buy only premium products. And I do that because mainly I eat there too. Yes. So I don't have anything, you know, that, that is seconds or whatever. Everything I buy is is like first class only. Same product that, the big restaurant downtown, Mistura used to buy. Yes. I use the same supplies that I used to buy at Mistura that I've used for the last 30 years. Amazing. Okay. It's the same product that McEwen uses, that Susu Lee uses, mm -hmm. that Daniel Balud uses. We buy from the same suppliers. Okay. Same quality. Because we are that fanatical. I mean, and, and frankly, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't lower my standards. I eat there. Right. You know, what, what am I doing? Right. I think that's the... Oh, no, and, and having said that, I eat. I eat cheese slices. I make a, a grilled cheese sandwich. I have no problem with that, and I eat a lot of chips. Don't 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 get me wrong. I'm not a food snob, right? By any stretch of the right. imagination, you're not a foodie. Yeah, that's uh, the bad word that's been invented in the last 10, 15 years. It's ridiculous. You don't you don't like that? Yeah, small knowledge and uh, big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I love that definition. That's yeah. perfect. But I mean, I think yeah. that um, over, you know, I mean, you've had an incredible career and, and it's it's well documented. You can find out so much stuff online um, and you, there's been some incredible glory days. There yeah. must be, what's <laughs> what's one of the highlight moments that you could uh, you could reflect on? If you're thinking back over the last 30 years, what one of it comes to mind? Okay, so the, the, the best thing was uh, 1989 and I still remember it to this day. I'm a cook. I'm making, a, I don't know, I'm making $100, $120 a day. And back then, I was uh, just starting out at uh, Prego della Piazza. And because of all the crowd there, I mean, they were all, you know, in the, in the film industry, in the, in the music industry. I mean, we, I met everybody. Everybody. Kid you not. I mean, I, I believe it. I met everybody. And, and people have been in my kitchen cooking with me, big actors and politicians and so on. Everyone. It was like a family there. Nobody was treated like a client or a guest or a customer. We were all family. Anyway, uh, this, um, this guy comes up to me and says, I ran a, an advertisement company, and I'm looking for a chef to do an infomercial. And uh, I'm making $120 a day, okay? 140 maybe. Uh, 
says, why don't you come in to my office tomorrow morning, uh, nine o'clock, and uh, we discuss the, the thing. Okay, I go to the office and he says, well, this is an infomercial for a big company and uh, you have to promote some pots and pans and we need a chef to work with uh, Jonathan Welsh, you know, the, 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 the actor, uh, the really a nice guy. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was amazing. And uh, basically, you're going to do the cooking. He's going to talk about the pots and pans. You're going to explain how the, the pots and pans are good for the food you're making. And uh, I said, okay, yeah, no problem. I'm going to ask for a day off and uh, whatever. Oh, we're going to film all in one day. Okay, okay. So, uh, uh, listen, uh, you're not getting residuals or anything. You're just going to get a straight pay. And then I said, okay, fine. I mean, I thought maybe a couple of hundred bucks or whatever, right? I mean, I was happy back in that. He says, well, it's a $5,000 for the day. I, I almost fell off the chair. <laughs> I guess so. so $5,000 for the day. I mean, are you nuts? That's like how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> seven mortgage payments. You know, I mean, I, I, I was living on fumes. You know what I mean? I was really strapped. Two kids, my wife uh, at home, you know what I mean, taking care of them, and uh, with a back problem, and uh, she was pregnant back then in 1989, she was pregnant with Daniel, and uh, oh my God, that was like, I was. Ju- I, I think I flew from uh, Don Mills all the way to Prego de la Piazza. I flew, I didn't even drive or anything, right. I flew, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was, <laughs> and then, you know what, I did that infomercial, it was tremendous. In a sense that, uh, you know, we started filming at 6.30 in the morning. We finished at 4 o'clock in the morning the next day. And the director was pregnant. And she left the, the set and she went to deliver the baby. Oh, my gosh. And still, I still know them. I still communicate with them on occasion. That was the highlight. Because after that, everything was like, oh, yeah, I saw you in that infomercial with that. Can you come and do a, okay. a recipe on TV? And back then, you remember how many TV stations at the, the one hour at midday? Right. There was recipes. I happened to be on Davenport and, uh, and Yorkville. There were all the studios around us. So it was just a matter of bring the cart over, do the recipe, and go. Amazing. Yeah. And everything else just happened. You know what I mean? I, I did all of the TV shows in the 90s. I was always on TV doing the, the one hour little recipe of the day. Amazing. You know, it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's, it, go ahead. Sorry. But no, no, no. Yeah. I, I just uh, as a point, I worked at Archers for seven years. Sorry. It's okay. Archers for seven years. Um, Prego de la Piazza for 10 years and Mistura for 20 years. There it is. There it is. And, I never had a bad review until um, I got totally pissed off at, at, uh, <laughs> at Jacob Richler because uh, one day he said everything was fantastic and then he called it a humdrum cuisine, humdrum restaurant. So, and I didn't realize that humdrum actually is not bad, it's not negative. It's just that you, know, you do always the same thing and it's always good and it's reliable. And he meant it that way. I was pissed off for like 10 years. And then finally I confronted him. I said, what the, what is that humdrum business that he didn't even remember? (laughs) (laughs) It meant nothing to him and everything to you. Yeah. yeah. And the only other bad review I had, I had one seriously bad review was on Capra's Kitchen about a year after we opened. And it was from uh, Amy, um, I don't even remember her name. Anyway, from the star. I mean, and it was just horrible. She totally diced us up completely, and she was completely right. Oh. So, ah, 
you know. Hard what, to eat the reality, yeah. About a year and a half in at Capra's, I almost wanted to shut it down because of the condition that the staff and the cooks and everything else and everything that was working. Because I had the place, I just didn't have the workmanship. You know, it's... That was really bad. That's where the drive of being an entrepreneur and a businessman uh, just really ends up pushing you yeah. to, to correct, yeah. to course correct, to overcome, and then to set course for what you really yeah. want to be part of. Yeah. And, uh, man, we've uh, we've watched this incredible career unfold. I know that the the audience and, and the community supports you, um, you know, very, very uh, passionately. Yeah, and I'm very thankful. I mean, honestly, I, I can kiss the ground when everybody walks because I'm very, very happy about it. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that. Yeah, I absolutely. think, too, uh, this is a good story for anybody. And, of course, you know, um, Massimo's on every possible social channel that's out there. But when you're talking about brand building, about sponsorship, about brand activation, creating an <coughs> icon uh, an icon image for yourself, I mean, you really could be that case study that gets written in textbooks moving forward. And I think that they would have a great time dissecting the business <laughs> behind the business. And um, beyond all that, you're a hell of a nice guy, and that goes far. So I'm so grateful to have you on the show today. It's a pleasure. It was a nice chance to learn the stories, and I think that I can't wait in a little while after we get through all this to come <laughs> yeah. back, revisit, maybe do it over some food. Wouldn't that be nice, Frank? And maybe we'll do it at my house I this love time. it. Yeah. Let's do maybe that. We'll stew a rabbit or something. Yeah, I don't stew know. a rabbit. Uh, it, for the vegetarian, I don't know if it's going to work. But Are you I'll a vegetarian? Yes. Oh, well, then we'll do all vegetarian. Yeah, of course. Italian uh, you know, food is mostly vegetarian. Exactly. Yes. And do, do you know that uh, in uh, my kitchen, in my menus, a mistura and kitchen there is always a lot of vegetarian options so there is no pancetta in every little base of right, food right and you have a lot of choices i mean you've been there you know yes it. of course and we do have the chef uh, uh making a special vegan dish every day terrific so there is plenty of choices even on the brunch i've never had a challenge when i've been there yeah. i've enjoyed it every single time it's been it's been a highlight it actually my kids and my family look forward yeah. to it every time um, I'm so grateful to have you on, bud. Thanks so much. Let's persevere together. Let's make sure that we move forward and get out of the conditions that we're in. Oh, boy. I can't wait to see us yeah. all flourish from that. Thanks yeah. for being part of it. And you can find, of course, Massimo on any so social channel, Capra's Kitchen. And uh, if you get a chance to order in, please do. And yeah, when you get a chance do. to visit, do that as well. <laughs> Thanks so much, Massimo. You're very welcome. Awesome. Anytime. Thanks. we got to do this again. I like that idea. Yeah, all right. Cheers. <laughs>